Okay, okay, okay. Where are we? <laughs> so many people are in church today. I guess it's a working day for them. So interesting. Anyway, okay. Genesis chapter 8. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. And I guess that was the turning point, I guess. You know, prior to that, verse 24 or chapter 27, water is flooding the earth. And then God remembered, hey, there's Noah in the boat. And then he caused the waters to recede. And the way that he caused it to recede was by sending a wind over this water. And somehow um, that evokes again that creation image, you know, before there was the earth, you know, before there was even light. You know, there was God's spirit hovering over the waters. You remember that, that pre-creation state? And this is almost like a new creation. You know, God sending his spirit yet again over the waters that were formless. And this caused the waters to recede. A sign of God's presence, a sign of his grace, his salvation. It begins with God himself. It begins with God remembering Noah and then causing this miracle to happen. And verse 2, Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed. And the rain had stopped falling from the earth. So kind of like the taps were turned off. So previously, you know, there was water coming from the heavens and then like, you know, there's water coming up from below, from the deep, but God kind of like turned off the taps. And so no more rain, you know, there's no more like flooding, but at the same time, you know, there was so much water, you know, that had to take time for it to recede. Uh, so verse three, the water receded steadily from the earth. Kind of like, you know, um, like a sink full of water and then you pull the plug <laughs> and you have to wait for, for the water to go down, go down, go down the, the drain. So, so it's, the whole chapter is kind of like watching water go down your drain. It's like very, very slow, very, very painful. Um, but this is what it means to wait for God's salvation. God is doing something, you know, it is a miracle but it involves a lot of time, a lot of patience, a lot of waiting. The water receded steadily. And it says at the end of 150 days, the waters had gone. It took so long, you know, only 40 days, 40 nights for the water to fill up, cover the mountains, kill everyone, you know, wipe the whole earth. But then 150 days, what's that? Almost four times the amount of time it took to flood the earth. You need to wait for the water to go recede from the earth um, and verse 4 and on the 17th day of the seventh month the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat the waters continued to recede until the 10th month and on the first day of the 10th month the tops of the mountains became visible so there's there's like a transition between verses 4 to 5 verse 4 uh, the ark rests like it, it's been floating and floating and then it goes boom and it, it, it on Mount Ararat it kind of hits the peak and then it's resting on top of that but you still need to wait for the water to keep going down and it wasn't until 
some time later, you know, the 10th month, that you could start seeing some semblance of land, of life again, well, no life, just, just land. But again, just reinforcing the idea that it was a really long time for the waters to go down. Yeah. Verse six, after 40 days, uh, Noah opened the window that he had made in the ark and he sent out a raven and it kept flying back and forth, back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Verse eight, then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground, but the dove could find no place to set its feet because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah and the ark. So he reached out his hand, reached out his hand, and he turned and he took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. So I'm just distracted because it says I only have 20% battery left on my phone. So I hope, hope this recording holds. Uh, by the way, this is just my first impressions. I'm just looking at Genesis chapter 8. I haven't looked at it yet. I'm thinking of using this uh, for my assignment, um, for one of the modules at college. We're supposed to prepare like a talk um, based on an Old Testament passage. And since I've been reading through uh, the chapters in Genesis, I thought, you know, I'm landing here. I thought I'll use this, this passage maybe to preach on. And uh, here we find Noah just like, waiting, waiting, waiting in a boat. Uh, but also it's kind of like testing to see whether it's okay for him to leave the boat. So he sends out the raven, goes back and forth, back and forth, finds no place of rest. And then he sends out the dove. And now I might be wrong, I haven't checked this, but I think if I can remember from a long time ago reading, I think the, the word for dove sounds like a lot like Noah's name. So him sending out this bird, it's kind of like sending out a part of himself, sending a part of himself, trying to find that place of rest. Because the ark has rested, but Noah can't find rest. You know? So he sends out this dove again, and it says, verse eight, to see if the water had receded. But verse nine, the, the dove could not find rest, a place to set its feet, because there was water over the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah, like a boomerang. Sends it out, sends it back. More, more to come. Verse 10, he waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then no one knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and he sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. So there's... So many, so many things happening here. He keep, keeps waiting seven days, seven days, seven days, you know, and, you know, thinking again of how God created the world in seven days. You know, seven is a, a, a sign of completion, also a sign of rest. You know, God rested on the seventh day. And it seems to me be that Noah is searching for rest. You know, his heart isn't rested. You know, he's just been through this very traumatic period of judgment and he's waiting for that opportunity for him to rest. And so he sends out this dove that can't find rest and is moving back and forth until one day it comes back to him with this sign of life, you know, this freshly plucked olive leaf. Life has come back to the earth. And he says, then he knows that the water had receded and he waits another seven days and he sends out the dove and doesn't come back. So the dove has found rest, 
the ark is found rest, Noah, Noah, he, he, he's not yet at rest. And he's just waiting for that opportunity to find God, to find rest, to find that uh, moment of completion of that judgment to pass by. And I wonder if that sounds familiar. You know, sometimes, you know, everything around us can seem okay. You know, even our life situation is okay. The ark is okay, you know, but inside, inside, you know, we're still restless. You're still searching for that sign that it's okay to go out and to start living again, but it hasn't come yet. And that, that's Noah, you know, he's waiting for that sign. Verse 13, by the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark, like this, removed the covering, and he saw, he saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. So he, he, he could see it with his eyes. He, he opened up the door, and then there in front of him was dry ground. You know, what else do you want? You know, it's dry, it's safe. You know, you go out of the ark, but he still waits. You know, it's interesting. He saw on his 601st year, and it says the first day of the first month. And what's interesting is this, like, January 1st, but it's not really January 1st because it's the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year. It's kind of like saying it's Noah's birthday. <laughs> you realize that all the events in the ark has been marked according to Noah's timeline. It's, you know, everything else is, is dead. So the only thing that makes sense to measure time against is actually Noah's own lifespan. And on this day that he opens up the door and he sees the dry land, it's Noah's birthday. So like, happy birthday, Noah. You know, of all the days, you know, for Noah to celebrate and to rejoice, to thank God and to find that rest, it would, you think you think it's his birthday, right? But no, verse 14, he waits another, another month and a plus, the 27th day of the second month. So you think, the whole of January and another 27 days. He waits until like almost two whole months and he's still inside the boat. And what happens on that day is verse 15, then God said to Noah, come out of the ark. Then God spoke to him. See, all the while, what Noah has been waiting for is actually God. And more specifically, God, uh, God's voice. That's what Noah's been waiting for. Waiting for God to say it's okay. Waiting for God to say, come out of the ark. Noah doesn't trust what he sees or what he thinks. He's always been just waiting and waiting on God's word. Come out of the ark. You and your wife and your sons and your wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you. The birds and the animals. So everyone is waiting. <laughs> Everyone's waiting for Noah, and Noah is waiting for God's word. And that's the final say as to what it means, you know, to find that rest, to find that completion again of that season of maybe judgment, of difficulty, of restlessness. You know, it's waiting for God's word to be able to obey it, to be able to submit to it. And it says, and all the creatures that move along the ground so that they can multiply on the earth, be fruitful and increase, and number upon it.
So, verse 18, so Noah came out, together with his sons and his wives and his sons' wives, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the, the birds, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark. Everything. <laughs> the whole ark emptied out, one kind after the other. And there is more. That's the thing, you know, you would think that this is like, you know, the graduation. We just had we just had a graduation here at SPTCM, actually sitting outside of well, HDBB, the hall. And we had a graduation here um, on Saturday. And, you know, the high point of the graduation is kind of like the coming out or the sending out, right? You know, um, you graduate, you get your um, piece of paper, you know, that, that says, you know, you've done three years, you suffer enough because of all the essays. And then you are sent out, you know, to do God's work, to do ministry, that kind of thing. And here they're all being sent out. But that's not the end. That's actually not the high point of this end of salvation because what it ends with is, is worship. Is worship. Verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again. I will curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. So pull it together. You know, what has Noah been waiting for? You know, he's been waiting for God's salvation. He's been waiting for God's presence. He's been waiting for a kind of sign that is actually okay, it's safe for him to leave the ark. And we find this all concentrated in God's word. Verse 15 again, come out of the ark. And the first thing that he does in response to that word, yes, he comes out of the ark, but the first thing he does is he worships God. He builds this altar and he gives all glory to God and he sacrifices. That's the thing, he sacrifices some of these clean animals that he'd saved. You know, they thought, oh, you know, these animals, they escaped the flood but now they are being barbecued on the altar. They're being offered up, meaning they were killed, they were burned on the altar. And it describes even the smoke, the burnt offerings that goes up to God's like nostrils. God smells it and it goes, it was pleasing, an aroma that God could literally smell from this barbecue pit, this altar that Noah built. Almost as if to say, that um, you know, Noah acknowledges that you know, I'm saved and I'm alive not because of anything I've done, you know, but that something needs to take even my place in this death. Everyone else has died, I'm alive, but these animals have to die in my place. You see, Noah understands salvation is an act of substitution. Something else dies in my place. In this case, it's these animals. For us, it's Jesus. You know, uh, someone who is sinless, someone who saves us, someone who takes our death upon himself. And when God smells that aroma of that worship, what he says is never again. You hear those words, never again, never again. Never again will I curse the ground. Never again will I destroy all living creatures. Why? Because he says, you know, God actually can still see the heart of man, you know, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And at this point of time, you know, everyone is dead. <laughs> so whose heart? Whose heart is God looking at? You know, the only people who are alive are Noah. 
or know his family. And even in their hearts, God can see traces of evil and sin and rebellion in their hearts. But the only difference is, God says, never again. You know, God did it once. He destroyed the earth by the flood. But God's first covenant with Noah and with us is that God says, you know what, this is not the way that he's going to deal with sin. The way that God is going to deal with the problems and the sin and what's you open up newspapers and you see, wow, wow, this, this is something that is so horrible. Why doesn't God do something about this? And God has. The way that God dealt with this was that he wiped out the entire earth. He, he just flooded everything, killed everything. That's the only way you can kill sin by killing people in whose heart is that sin. But it doesn't work. <laughs> because even after he wipes everything else, Noah's alive and sin is still in Noah. So it's, God says, never again will you do this. And it's an ongoing promise because the last verse, last verse, and we'll end with this, chapter 8, verse 22, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. You know, summer and winter, day and night, you know, kind of talking about seasons. You know, you go uh, through night and day, some seasons are good, some seasons are bad. You know, if, if you're in the UK or in Europe, you know, there are, there's like different seasons, cold and hot in Malaysia, it's just hot, but sometimes rain. <laughs> but these cycles of life, one thing they remind us is that this promise still stands. The fact that you're able to wake up in the morning you know, and see that it's a brand new day is another day that God's promise stands, that God will not pour out this kind of like utter destruction again. He will not destroy everyone through this means at least again until there is a real, a proper final solution that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. So, um, yeah, so that's Genesis chapter 8. Uh, what do we see here? Again, Noah just waiting. Waiting for that opportunity to worship God. The opportunity to recognize that his sin needs atonement. Waiting for that promise from God that God will not bring about this complete and utter and horrible destruction again. And for us as Christians, you know, the thing that we wait for is something that has already happened. You know, on the cross, Jesus took our death upon himself he died he took that flood he took that judgment upon himself and so what we wait for instead is Jesus's return to bring that final salvation that final completion that final rest that Noah was waiting for in the end you know, yeah, to be in God's presence again um, yeah okay all right so that's my first impressions of Genesis chapter 8 and I'm gonna finish eating this lunch very nice um, fragrant rice apparently uh, someone's telling me that uh, fragrant means mayfern, yeah, mayfern rice. I'm going to have it right now. Uh, bumped into so many people. Hello, Abel. Hello, Jacinta. Thank you for saying hello earlier. Didn't record it on the, on, on the camera. But, but yeah, i um, going to uh, spend the rest of the day maybe working through the text. Uh, like, that, this one is a proper thing. This is just first impression. Prop, working through a text that uh, I'll share with you and maybe I'll... Um, um, make a video of that as well but yeah this is for that assignment for Dr. Lisa say hi to her earlier on as well and uh, hopefully you know they'll be done <laughs> Chinese New Year is happening next week hopefully that'll be done and then can uh, quite together and then uh, it'll be such a relief yeah <laughs> okay thanks for listening thanks for joining me take care and God bless bye